welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Uh, hey, hopefully you had a fantastic Christmas. Um, the Snow family had an amazing Christmas. How many of you are dog people? How many of you are not dog people? The, do- the not dog people felt so outweighed by the people who raised their hands are a little bit scared. Uh, after 10 years of debate and turmoil internally, my wife and I decided to get a dog. So I do not, I have never been a dog person uh, when people tell me something's wrong with their dog, I'm like, this is a good thing, right? Like, is it closer to not having a dog, right? Because I have four kids. I'm being a little bit funny. I am, I do, I am empathetic. But uh, we decided to get a dog, and um, I know that in about a month, I'm going to be like the most dog-loving person in the world, and anything goes wrong with the dog, I'm going to be the dog person, I, and I understand that. But if you go to church here, I'm really letting you know that because it's going to be incorporated into all of my sermons on a regular basis. The dog pees where it's not supposed to. The Lord's working on my anger. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. My prayer life is going to increase. You get it. I'm just going to try to just extrapolate some dog stuff into all my sermons. I'm, I'm being funny. No, we, we really did. We had an awesome Christmas, and so hopefully you guys did as well. This is the last uh, Sunday of 2020. It's really exciting stuff. 2020 is closing. 2021 is new beginning. We like new things. Uh, if you're a believer, God's always doing new stuff. He's doing old stuff too. But um, So we're just really excited about everything going on. My name's Landon Snow. That was my wife up here before, Stacey Snow, with the senior leaders of the church. Really thankful that you want to spend Sunday here with us. Uh, we believe that God's got some really cool stuff for 2021 for Cedar House and for Baton Rouge. And so we're just really excited about it. I am really looking forward to next year. I really feel like the church is going to get in this rhythm of kind of who we are um, and just learn how to love and serve the city really well. So really, really excited about that. But um, as Paul just mentioned, so today we have been talking about this for a while. Uh, We are starting a new sermon series today on the five core values of Cedar House Church. Um, these are really the five kind of pillars of thought or pillars of belief that really Stacy and I felt like when we planted the church that this is really who we are as a community. Everything we do flows from these five core values. Um, if you are someone who likes literature and likes to read this type of stuff, on our website we have this thing called the Culture Manual. I'm very proud of it. No one looks at it, but for me it just feels really good that it's there. We put a lot of effort into it. Um, We have our five core values and these 12 things we call culture keys, which really just kind of describes who we are. It it creates a language so we can transfer information. And if we're speaking the same language, we could transfer the information. And so you could check that out online. It's this really cool thing. So it's not just the five core values of Cedar House Church. If you don't go to church and you're visiting, glad that you're here. Um, It's really five pillars that I believe are just kind of these key cornerstones of thought for the kingdom of God. And even to take it a step further than that, when I was really making these five core values, I thought, what are the five pillars of thought that I would want my children to know? I would want them to know these five things theologically and from a belief place 
of what they think, what they believe about God and the kingdom of God. And so the next five weeks, we're going to go over these five things. Stacy's going to teach some of that as well, which I'm really excited about. But our number one core value, I think, in the kingdom is that God is a good, loving father. Everything we think, everything we do, all ministry, all aim, all mission, all behavior, everything as a believer, in my opinion, should stem from knowing God as a father. I became a Christian when I invited Jesus into my heart, but I became a son when I realized he was a dad. And the, the awesome privilege of the Christian life is learning him as a father and understanding that Jesus had one main central theme and goal when he was on earth, and it was to reveal the father to an orphan planet. All the miracles, all the teaching, all the love, everything he did kept stemming back to this one central message, which I'm about to read a lot here, that God is a father, and not just a father, he's a good, loving father. So in the life of Jesus, this is really compelling, obviously, person, where either he's completely crazy, or he's exactly who he says he is. Either Jesus is completely crazy, or he is exactly who he says he is. If you're in this room, I'm, I'm imagining that you believe that he is who he says he is. Well, Jesus kept saying over and over and over, which I'm about to read, that he came to reveal the Father. He came to manifest the Father. There was so much confusion in the day of Jesus of what God was like. They had never seen God in flesh. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he makes it very clear. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus had this very personal relationship with his Father. He, he went around... The word Abba is actually daddy or dada. He had a relationship with his father, a 30-year-old man walking around saying daddy. He was so dependent on his connection with his father. He had no other mission but to reveal the father. And thank God that he's a good, loving father. So if Jesus had this one aim to reveal the father to an orphan planet, and if he says, you've seen me, you've seen the father, then if I have any view of Father God that I can't find in the life of Jesus, I need to think differently. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He perfectly represented the Father. Any view that we have of Father God needs to come through the lens of Jesus. And I'm about to read a lot of scripture to show you that what I'm saying is accurate. Are you guys ready? I'm about to read a chunk of scripture, so stay with me here. I'm going to read it from my little tablet here, and you guys can follow along on the screen. So what I'm, what I'm reading here is verses that where Jesus is showing us and telling us that he came to reveal the Father, and he can only do what the Father tells him to do, and he had no other agenda but to do what the Father told him to do. So this is in John 14, 9. <clears throat> so actually, I'm going to start with 6 through 11. Um, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is Jesus talking. So Philip said, who's a disciple, he said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even, if, even after I have been amongst you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So how can I say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. This is the disciples saying, show us the Father and we'll believe you. And Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's, I'm standing in front of you perfectly representing the Father. Let's go to John 10, verse 29 and 30. It says here, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then verse 30 is, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are such in a symbiotic relationship, I can only do what the Father tells me to do, that I am standing here in front of you, that we are one. Um, John five seventeen verse 32. But he answered them, he said, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. But he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered, and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does also in this manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. I can do nothing on my own initiative. You guys see this? I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which, gives, which he gives about me is true. Jesus saying here, I can do nothing on my own initiative. What's he saying? I can only do what the Father tells me to do. He, he's not having thoughts, actions, dreams outside of what the father tells him to do him and the father are perfectly in alignment and he's doing exactly what the father tells him to do john 12 36 through 43 this is good but the testimony which i have is greater than the testimony of john for the works which the father has given to me to accomplish the very works that i do testify about me that the father has sent me and the Father who sent me has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice or seen his form. You do not have his abiding word in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Okay, look at this. You search the scriptures because you think in them they lead to eternal life. For it is in these that testify about me. This is Jesus talking. If you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in his name, you do receive him. This is a sobering scripture here. Jesus is saying this. Hey, you're reading scripture. This is before the New Testament. You're reading scripture because you think they lead to life, but what they do is they lead to me, and you won't listen to me. This book, reading it through the Holy Spirit, leads us to Jesus, and Jesus always revealed the Father. All, all thought, all theology, all pursuit of God leads through Jesus, and Jesus is always showing us to the Father. Can you? I mean, Jesus is literally standing there saying, hey, you're reading the scriptures, trying to find the Father. I am manifesting him perfectly in front of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. <clears throat> I'm going to keep going here. So John 8, verse 25 through 30. 
So they are saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I, am many things to spe- I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the thing which I had heard from him is true. These this, the things I speak to the world. They do not realize that, that when I have been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me, and he has sent me with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do things that are pleasing to him. As, as though he spoke these things, to many of them came to believe. So just as Jesus saying in another verse, I can only do what the Father tells me to do, and I can't do anything on my own initiative. I only have one more. You stay with me for one more if I can't drill this point home strong enough here. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the Father and to the prophets, sorry, let me start over. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and to, and to the prophets in many portions and in many ways, these last days he has spoken to us in, by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him he also made the world. And he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high. Jesus, this is Jesus on earth, is the exact representation of the radiance of God. Then he defeats death and now he goes and sits at the right hand of the Father. Are you, are you guys with me? exact representation of the nature of the Father. Um, I'm not going to put these on screen. Mark 10, verse 18, Luke 18, verse 19, Matthew 19, verse 17, they called Jesus good. Three different times he goes, no, don't call me good. I'm not good. The Father's good. I only do what he tells me to do. I mean, he has no agenda of his own. I am here to represent the Father. I embody the Father perfectly. If you give him a compliment, he's like, well, it's just the Father because I'm just doing what the Father's telling him to do. Are you with me? Is this making sense? So here's the thing. If we have a view of God that is not found in the life of Jesus, then we need to think differently. Jesus perfectly represented the Father, and his entire agenda was to reveal the Father to an orphan and a hurting planet. Can I get an amen? All right. Here's the problem. This is what we run into as believers. We get in our head that God the Father is like a little bit upset. He's the Father. You know, he's like, ooh, you don't want to cross the Father. But Jesus is like my bro. Can we be honest? Is this like Jesus is with me. He took on flesh. He loves me. So I can, like, be honest with Jesus, but, like, I'm still a little bit scared of the Father. Can we be honest that we all get this in our head from our earthly woundings from our fathers? And so what happens is we think, we don't use this language, but I'm just going to be really blunt here. We think that the Father is, is doing some type of harm. He's sending storm. He's sending cancer. He's sending problems. And Jesus is shielding off the wrath of the Father. Okay? That's what we think. That's not what Jesus said. He perfectly represented the Father. So listen, that's a kingdom divided. The Father creating a problem and Jesus working against the Father is a, is a kingdom divided. Jesus told us that a kingdom divided cannot stand. 
So it's not true that the Father has a different agenda than Jesus. And Jesus in bodily form perfectly represented the Father. So where should we get our lens of the Father from? Through Jesus. There's a um, story, Peter and Jesus are walking one day, and there's a sinful city, and they're going to go to this city. And all Peter thought that God was the type of God to go and destroy a city. And so he wants to show his, his valor towards Jesus, and he goes, hey, they're sinful. How about we go burn the city down? This is, he's literally God manifested. This is a good idea to him. This is the lead disciple. This is how much confusion about the nature of God there was. And Jesus, this is what he says. He goes, Peter, you don't know what your spirit you're of. Let me, let me put that in our language. Peter, my father doesn't do that. Peter, he's not, he doesn't want to kill the city. He wants to love the city. Peter, my father isn't going out trying to burn up an entire city. What what is Jesus modeling there? The heart of the Father. He is modeling the heart of the Father. Peter, that's not what we're like. We don't do that, Peter. Can can you imagine Jesus walking onto the scene and there's a blind man and him saying, I I can't heal this man because this is the kind of blindness my Father gives. Um, um, When Jesus raised a little girl from the dead, he used the word, he said, Talitha kum, get up and walk. Can you imagine him turning to the parents and saying, my father killed her and I, I, I'm not supposed to raise her from the dead? None of us would use that language, but that does seep into our thoughts about who the father is. We, um, we have four kids, four daughters. We had a miscarriage. I'm just, I'm being really blunt here. I'm sorry if this... Well, actually, I'm not sorry. Just go somewhere else if you don't like what I'm saying about God. We had a miscarriage, the whole process, and I know some of you have had miscarriages, and it's not fun. And I had Christians say to me, you know, God just is trying to populate heaven with his kids and say, you know, God just works in mysterious ways. And I'd say, I completely disagree with what you're saying. He, he doesn't need to populate heaven He needs more of his children bringing the glory of God on earth. We need heaven on earth, not getting everyone to heaven. I refuse to believe that God's killing babies. God's mysterious. He's mysteriously good. I'm not going to to give God credit for doing something evil because I don't understand something. Because that is not in line with the nature of Jesus. So I may not understand, but all I have to go off of is what Jesus said. And what Jesus said has to trump my experience. And so I do not understand everything that happens, but I do know what the Father's heart is for me. And it's not that. I have some significant back issues, and it would be so easy to say, well, God's just teaching me a lesson. I'm like, well, that's not the heart of the Father. I don't want my kids to have back problems. Do you? And he even says... You earthly fathers, you wouldn't want to do something evil to your kids. How much more would a heavenly father not want to do that? So if it's, it's, if it's he's so good, he's so much better than us, if it's in our heart for our kids not to be in pain, why would we think that, that he wants that for us? See, everything he did was through the lens of the father. 
Listen, so when he, when he reached down and he healed someone's blind eyes, he didn't want his son to have blind, he, he wanted his son to have full life. He didn't want his kids to be blind. The woman who's caught in adultery, she's cast before him. Everyone thinks he's going to judge her. It's a father-daughter moment. Of course he was kind to her. It's the same thing I would do to my daughter. When Jesus is, um, calls out Zacchaeus in the tree, and he wants to have dinner at his house. What's he doing? He wants to have dinner with his son. This is the heart of the father. When he would uh, heal tormented children in the Bible, why is he doing that? I don't want my kids to be tormented. This is the heart of the father. When Jesus uh, came out of the tomb, the first thing, his first goal was, he said, go get Peter. Okay. Why did he want to reconcile with Peter after Peter just denied him three straight times? He's showing the heart of the father. He doesn't want a disconnection with his son. He's going to connect with his son. He's showing the heart of the father. Everything Jesus did was perfectly showing the heart of the father. So again, Jesus' main goal was to come to reveal the father. And he represented a perfectly good, loving father. So if you have thoughts about who God is and it doesn't line up with God being a good, loving father, I would encourage you to get in a quiet place and get into the Gospels and see what Jesus said about the father. This is the message that I wish I would have known when I was 15 years old, so I'm glad the youth are not gone today and some of you are hearing this because this is really important. The world, to justify our unbelief, we come up with theology to make God, we accredit God for doing evil things. Okay, here's the deal. As a pastor, if any of you have been in ministry, you get this. I get asked some crazy questions. Like, what's your view on the end times, your study of eschatology, is it pre-trib, post-trib, whatever. Uh, Your views on tongues and interpretation, once saved, always saved. All this stuff, I have my own thoughts on all that. It's all in scripture, I get it. That's not the hill that I'm willing to die on. I'm not, I'm not gonna argue with someone about that. I'm not gonna, I'm not, that's just not where my passion is. I will die on this hill. I will die on the hill that God is good, he is a good loving father, and I will not accredit him for doing evil things. Yeah, all right, all right, I like it. So all the questions. Check, check, check. There we go. So all the questions that come up whenever you state truth like that, questions don't trump the revelation of what Jesus said. You you should have a thousand questions, but it doesn't trump truth. And what Jesus said is truth. And he came to perfectly represent the Father. Perfectly represent the Father's heart. The world is dying to know this Father. You ever think about the way we portray God to people? I'm like, I wouldn't want to be a Christian either. That God does not sound very fun. But the one that Jesus talked about is a whole lot of fun. And he's a good, good dad and a good, loving father. And this is the central core message of who we are. We're no longer orphans. We are sons and daughters of our father. Amen? All right. If this is true, which it is, there are three main ways. There's a ton. But I'd say there's three main ways that this manifests 
daily into our life. If God is a good, loving father, there are three ways that this manifests in our life as being sons and daughters of the Most High God. All right. The first one is this, that we get to live with unlimited resources. All right. If my father owns all the real estate, he owns all the intellectual property, he owns the stars, he owns the universe, he's not going to make a bad choice to uh, jeopardize the family wealth. He has every solution possible. And he has a yes in his heart for me. That means I have an inheritance and I have access to what the Father has for me. That means I get to behave like a son. Do you know what that means? That means I am not thinking of my daily needs. I am thinking of creating change and establishing the Father's kingdom. I am not worried of the small stuff. I am not worried about getting my daily needs met. This is why Jesus could say, hey, look at, look at the lilies in the field. They're not worried about that stuff. What is Jesus saying? He sh- he's saying that as a son. The Father will take care of you. When you have access to unlimited resources, which is what the Father has, you behave differently. See, what an orphan behaves like is back against the wall. I'm going to get my daily needs met. I'm not worried about thriving. I just need to survive. I'm just trying to survive, so I'm going to hoard Oh, my God, I'm scared. I can't be generous. I'm a victim to my circumstances. Well, a son who comes from money in this context and has an inheritance doesn't behave that way. They behave like anything is possible. They think, how do I build more? How do I create more? Not how do I survive? Listen, when we have access to unlimited resources, we should be people who dream. Our dreams should be outrageous. We're Christians. That means we're sons and daughters of the king, and any thought or dream is possible. Because here's the thing. When you dream and you think, well, that's not possible, there's not enough money, incorrect thought. Because we have access to the Father's resources. When the, the best church service in the Bible, Acts 2, Holy Spirit comes, Peter prophesies, and he says, your old men will dream dreams. What, what is that saying? It's like, it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the situation in your life. If God is your father, you should dream really big. I'm in charge of five budgets in my life, personal budget, then four other budgets. And here's the challenge. Each month, especially in 2020, I look at it, and I can't reconcile it. In the natural, there's not a lot of money. But spiritually, I know that the Father has unlimited resources. This tension of choosing to live in trust in what I don't see but what I know is true is how you build foundations of this in your heart. This is where sonship comes. Is when I don't see it, yet I'm going to behave like it's true. I'm not saying go spend stupid money. I'm not saying be erratic. I'm saying... Get before God and talk to him about it. Okay, you've put this dream in my heart. Here's a situation. How do we navigate through this? I'm going to, with wisdom, behave in a way like I have access to unlimited resources, even though I don't see it in my budget. Are you with me? Just to be clear, don't be an idiot. Steward your resources. I'm just saying pray into it because we have access to unlimited resources. Amen? This is exciting. There's probably three things in my life that changed me drastically 
learning him as a father and learning that he has resources for me changed everything. Every dream I ever had was like, oh, okay, it's possible. I'm thinking too small. He's thinking really big. I'm thinking really small. And I need to change the way I think to align with what he's thinking. Okay? All right. The second one is this, that we get to live from rest. Listen, the battle has already been won. We're on the winning team. I've read the last page, and we win. And he creates a table for me in the presence of what I don't understand in my chaos. And so I get to be seated in heavenly places, and I get to live from rest. I don't need to go out running around crazy trying to get all my needs met. I get to live from a place and a posture of rest because he's already won. The natural thing to do is function from anxiety, function from chaos, and just get everything done as much as you can. That's not the kingdom life. If he's a father, I get to absorb his rest, and I'm seated in a heavenly place, and I get to live from rest, not for rest. I'm not tallying up my behavior so I can rest. I'm functioning from rest before I see the result. You, is this making sense to you? I, I cannot wait to show you this scripture. I'm super excited about this. When I found out this was true, it made me so happy. All right. I'm going to read to you uh, in Genesis. You can go ahead, Melanie. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Okay, just, just hear me out on this. This is about rest. In the garden was Adam and Eve, and it was before sin. Okay? Adam sinned. And brought sin into the world. Okay? The Bible literally calls him the first Adam. Jesus is called in the Bible the second Adam. What Jesus did was all that was lost in the garden, he came back and restored it on the cross. He brought the keys they lost, they messed it up in the garden. Jesus came back, fixed the problem, handed us the keys back, and said, Go do what I've been doing. You guys with me? So he came to restore back what happened in the garden. Okay, so watch what happens here. So he's, this is God talking. So he said, Adam just said, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit of the tree, which I commanded you not to, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it. Okay. Cursed is the ground because of what you did. Through painful toil, you're going to eat from it. Now when Adam is working, it's going to be exhausting. Sin is now fighting back. The ground is fighting back at Adam. He is now toiling in everything that he's doing. You guys with me? Okay. But Jesus came as the second Adam and restored everything back to its original design before sin. And I want you to see this verse, which is absolutely amazing. John 17, verse 15. This is when Jesus is praying in the book of John um, for all of us, which is awesome. So he says, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out. He's talking to God. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Okay, you can go look this up yourself. That word evil one is the same word for toil. Listen, this is, I love this so much. I love this so much. This is Jesus saying, okay, Father, before I ascend, I pray, don't take them out of the world. I just pray that you keep them from toil. Isn't that awesome? It's like, hey, I see them doing the thing that Adam did, but I've restored it. My prayer is that they don't fall back into it. 
My prayer is that I don't run around crazy fighting for identity, running around crazy trying to change things that I'm not asking them to change. They get to live from a place of abundance of soul, having a prosperous soul, and they don't have to toil at everything they're doing. Isn't that good? You get to live from rest. Work really hard, steward hard, all that stuff that I always talk about, all, all the stuff the Bible talks about, all of that. But understand that it comes from a place of rest. Amen? Okay. Uh, the third point is this. Enjoying his discipline. Enjoying God's discipline. See, as an orphan, you don't want to be corrected. As a son, you learn that correction leads to fruit. I'm going to read this to you. This is Hebrews 12, verse 4 through 12. So the writer says here, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood, and have you, com- and have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you like his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level the paths of your feet, and that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So he's, this is, I mean, this is just word for word here. He's saying, hey, it's not fun when you get disciplined, but it leads to fruit. This is the way Jesus put it. Uh, he prunes any vine that's within him. When, when a vine is growing and it maybe has a branch that's sticking off that's pulling it this way, it probably doesn't feel very good to the vine to just cut the little thing off the side. But what is it doing? It's keeping it growing the way it's supposed to grow. Pruning may not be fun, but it leads to fruit. See, as a son, I want him to correct me. The older I get, the more I'm like, man, I'd like older men to say, hey, don't do that. That's not going to work. You, does that make sense? At 22 years old, I was like, please, no one tell me what to do. I've got it all figured out. I don't need anyone to correct me. At a young age, you don't appreciate it. As you get older, you appreciate the pruning of the father. Amen? Unlimited resources, living from rest, and enjoying God's discipline. Everything Jesus did is that he modeled the heart of the Father, and we now get to do that. The world is dying to see us reflect this Father. The world is dying to find a Father who has no agenda, no tricks up his sleeve, just love and acceptance, and we get to model the heart of the Father to everyone around us. Bringing people into Christianity, bringing people into the kingdom, is bringing people into a family. It's not a system. It's not a church. It's not. It's a family. This is the heart of the Father, that we would go tell everyone about him, and everyone comes in and is part of the family. Jesus said this one time. I'm so excited for this, guys. I'm going to my dad's house. It's really big. I've got room for all of you. Isn't that cool? 
guys, where I'm going, you're going to get to come. You all get your own room. This is so cool. It's like all the stuff, you know, like when you're growing up and there's like the cool parents down the street have like the unlimited snacks and stuff. It's like that. Jesus, like my dad's got literally every, the guys know seriously everything. He's got everything there you could possibly think of. Come to my father's house. Amen? That's what we get to do. All right, the children are lining up outside the doors. I can hear their feet puttering. I'm going to just pray for us for a minute, and then we're going to let them in about us modeling the heart of the Father. So, Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a Father. Sorry. Jesus, thank you so much for modeling the Father. Thank you, God, that you're a Father, and you love us, and you have the heart of a Father towards us. So, God, I just ask that we would be people who manifest your heart towards everyone around us, that we would be people who understand you as a dad and draft people into a loving relationship with you as a father. You're really amazing. Thank you that you came to perfectly represent the father. Um, I ask for any misconceptions of you from father wounds and mother wounds and all that stuff, God, you bring it to the surface and you would deal with any ideas that we have about you that aren't true, any ideas we have in our head about you that aren't real. I pray that you would confront those in our hearts in our quiet times. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So good. All right, we're going to let the kids come in. All right, you can pull your... Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.